Hello, everybody, and welcome to our second episode of season two of BuddhaPod. I'm Andrew. And I'm Burton. So today, our theme is going to be on compassion. And I was talking to Burton earlier about this. And it seems like when we talk about compassion, it's hard to understand what compassion is because it seems so vague. It's not really a tangible thing. And we often just consider it sort of like a passing feeling and we're not quite sure how we can practice compassion, especially in the context of Buddhism. Yeah, definitely. Um, and in Buddhism, compassion is quite central to everything we believe in and practice. Within especially Mahayana Buddhism, compassion and wisdom are the two like central skills or themes that really take us through our spiritual life. And so with about, when we're practicing compassion, we're also practicing wisdom and vice versa. Definitely. So that's how I explain Buddhism to most people if they're looking for a very short answer. And they say, can you explain Buddhism to me in two words? I'll say, yes, compassion and wisdom. So today we're going to focus on the first of these, which is compassion. Uh, and maybe in a future episode, we'll get to wisdom as well. But I wanted to start off by asking, how do you practice compassion? As you mentioned, a lot of conceptions of compassion is more like a passing feeling. And people say, oh, I'm vaguely compassionate. But I feel like a lot of a thing that non-Buddhists don't might not understand is that compassion is really a skill. And if you don't practice your compassion, then it doesn't grow, it doesn't change, it doesn't get better. Within Buddhism, we all we talk about suffering and we talk about ending suffering. And at the heart of that is compassion and practicing mindfulness and meditation in a way to improve compassion. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, what really helped in practicing compassion was starting to volunteer at the temple. I think a lot of times when I was in high school, before I got involved with the monastery, I lived sort of in my own little bubble, in my own little world, where I didn't really have the chance or the opportunity to help others and serve others and really understand what it meant to practice compassion. But once I got into the monastery, I would be volunteering, I would be serving food to people, I would be helping people show people where the restrooms are and things like that. And it put me in all of these situations where I was constantly helping and that slowly began to nurture this willingness and this sort of enthusiasm um, in helping others and relieving other suffering. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I totally get that as well. Like I have, I have the same experience. Um, and just offering your services without expecting anything back is something that's central to compassion. And I guess that's what we get out of that volunteering. And actually, brings me of a thought experiment, not thought experiment, an actual experiment that they did in uh, New York City, where they had a community garden for disadvantaged people in New York. And what they found out was that when people did things for other people, it made themselves happier. And rather than going out and buying yourself uh, a new purse or the latest phone, it was that that the, the selfless acts that we did for other people that were the things that really liberated yourself and liberated people from their suffering. Yeah, I think also this sometimes seems kind of counterintuitive to a lot of people because it seems that what we're doing when we're volunteering are not very pleasant things. I remember either last year, it might have been a few years ago actually, when I was 
helping at Shilai Temple as part of trash duty. It was the Lunar New Year celebrations and the temple was filled with thousands and thousands of people. And of course, when you have thousands of people coming in, you have lots of trash too. People throwing wrappers and paper cups and um, whatever else they brought, bags of chips and whatever uh, on the ground. And so I would walk around the temple from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. just picking up trash over and over and over again. And I thought about it when I was explaining the situation to my mom, she was thinking, wow, that must have been so hard on you. But when I was actually doing it, I didn't feel like it was much of a hardship. Instead, I felt joy. I was so happy that there was so much trash because this meant that a lot of people were coming to the temple. Of course, it would have been nice if they had thrown it into the trash can (laughs) instead of on the ground. But I sort of was glad that there were so many people coming to learn about Buddhism, to experience the festivities. And so even though it was really hard work and I ended up every night all sore in my room, um, back was aching, legs were in pain, my arms were tired from carrying all the (laughs) trash bags, it was so nice um, and it felt so rewarding. And it is very counterintuitive because oftentimes we think, who would want to just carry trash and uh, do that all day long? But being able to help others is in itself very rewarding. Yeah, I definitely get that as well. Um, every year, the we I go to this conference in Taiwan at at Foguangshan Temple, and uh, last year we as, as a staff, I um, one of our main jobs was scrubbing toilets, and we scrubbed toilets all day, every day for like six hundred, seven hundred participants. And in when you say it like that, scrubbing toilets sounds like the worst job. Like it's stinky, it's wet, it's it's kind of awful. But um, in hindsight, it was some of the, like the best memories I've have of conference. Um, it does sound weird, but like scrubbing toilets with your mates, it just created so many positive memories, and it kind of illuminates to the fact that it really comes down to mindset. And if you have a compassionate mindset, and when you practice your compassion, that it can turn the even the worst situations into something positive and rewarding and quite fun, actually. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So a few years ago, I also was on a retreat and one of my jobs was also scrubbing toilets. So I really (laughs) can relate to you on that one. Uh, We didn't have that many participants, so we didn't have to scrub quite as many toilets. But I think there's sort of a skill, like you said, in how you approach the task. You can either approach it with compassion or you can approach it with anger and frustration, right? So if you're approaching the task with anger, then you might be scrubbing toilets, but the entire time you're unhappy while you're scrubbing toilets. You're thinking, why was I assigned this job? Why couldn't someone else do this? Why do I have to be the one scrubbing toilets? And the more you scrub, the angrier you get, and it doesn't help you in any sort of... But if you approach the task with compassion and you're thinking, I'm so glad that I can help the next person have a positive experience in the toilet, (laughs) or I hope that I can clean the temple up so that it's nice and shiny for the next person, uh, the next visitor, then it becomes a completely different experience. Just by changing that mindset, even though the work is the same um, and the environment is the same, changing that mindset from one of complaining, of anger, of frustration, to one of compassion and kindness and wanting others to be in a better state is very, very helpful. Mm, Yeah, definitely. And I think that in, in saying that, that links back to last episode's topic of the four noble truths that when we when we see suffering we need it when we understand it sometimes it's not always 
reveals itself to be stuff suffering and it cha- suffering can change into something positive yeah and so that house that's how like scrubbing toilets becomes a positive experience i think this goes very well with not just scrubbing toilets or picking up trash but really everything that i've come to do in the monastery uh there were times during retreats when i had to serve food and when there's a retreat there's like what two three hundred people coming into the temple all eating a meal at the same time and we have to be sure that we're giving enough food to feed all of these people and make sure that they have enough energy for the rest of the day's activities and so when i did it at shilai temple it was about two three hundred people and i was really tired at the end of it Fast forward a few years and I have a chance to go to Taiwan, go to the headquarter monastery, and now I'm not serving food to two, three hundred people. I'm serving food to like three thousand people. Um, And it's the same thing. And even though I'm completely sore, it's like the biggest workout I've ever done in my life. I feel so happy that I was able to help. But I do want to point out that there should be a little bit of a distinction. I'm not saying that we should help others because it makes us feel better and it because it's very rewarding, but rather that helping others is helping others. Feeling good about it is sort of like a side effect. Of course, the attention, the focus is always on aiding others and being able to help. Everything that comes after that, the sort of positive reward, that sort of emotional boost is just icing on the cake. Mm. And then it also links back in practicing compassion towards yourself. When you practice compassion towards yourself, it lends itself to practicing compassion towards others. It sounds cheesy, but when you don't love yourself, it's impossible for you to love other people. And it all links back to, th- to concepts of non-self and other stuff that when pr- you practice compassion, you need to practice, ho- practice it holistically and towards everybody. And so the way that I tend to strengthen that skill is through meditation and even loving kindness meditation although that is a slightly different topic when you practice those things holistically and you practice that through meditation you can go through your day's activities and think hmm how did i how did i present myself and how did i carry out myself through that day and did i practice compassion through that and you go through this process of reflection while you meditate That's really quite powerful. For example, um, I teach little kids and sometimes I get super angry at them when they misbehave and I shout at them and that's not particularly compassionate. And so at the end of the day, when I sit down and I meditate and I think about, oh, maybe perhaps I could have been more compassionate in the way I spoke to them or more understanding of where they came from, then I wouldn't have needed to shout. I wouldn't have to strain myself. I wouldn't have to cause myself and other people suffering. Yeah. I also think, um, and thank you very much for bringing that up, that I should change how I was phrasing uh, what I just said earlier, that compassion is definitely both self and other. And of course, when we're talking about practicing as a bodhisattva, it's always about benefiting both self and other, liberating both self and other, so that we all reach awakening or enlightenment together. Mm. The other thing about compassion, though, is that in Buddhism, uh, and I think that this is one of the most difficult things about Buddhism to put into practice is that compassion is equal and universal. It's very, very hard for anybody to develop compassion towards people that they've been having conflicts with or people that they really just dislike. 
But in Buddhism, it's not just that you have compassion for yourself and the people that you love and those that you're close to, but even those that you really resent. And eventually it's to mitigate that resentment. It's also towards not just people, but animals as well. And down to the smallest insects and all of these beings that we see, we don't see. It's really, really a broad range of compassion. And it will take a very long time for us to get there. But through practicing it slowly, like you said, with meditation and with practicing compassion towards a smaller group and expanding that group over and over again, we can slowly reach that goal. Yeah, and so that just reinforces how it's like a skill. And when compassion is very difficult, that is just indication that your level of compassion hasn't hasn't reached that skill level yet. And that's why it's so important to consistently practice compassion. Because when in Buddhism, we also often talk about the Buddha seed that we plant. When we don't nurture it and consistently nurture it, then it won't grow and it won't continue to grow. Um, and that's what... I have felt that has set uh, animals apart from humans, especially because in a- animals do feel compassion. They feel compassion towards mothers, feel compassion towards their young, and uh, and so forth. But in sense of the human realm, we have the ability to grow our compassion and continue to grow our compassion through practice and through higher wisdom. And so, when we think about it, it's really important that. We be grateful that we are in this situation where we have the ability to increase our compassion and really strive towards liberation and happiness. Yeah, and the reason why I wanted to do compassion this week is because it ties very smoothly into the land and water Dharma service that you will be having very soon. Yes. The entire Dharma service is based on this idea of compassion and this idea of universal compassion. When you start with the invitations, you're inviting not just all of the participants to come and join you, but all of these beings from realms that are depicted in all of the scrolls set up around the hall, and you're calling them in to partake in the offering so that you're sharing the Dharma, you're sharing this food, you're sharing what you have with not just the people around you, but everybody in the entire universe, in the entire Dharma realm. Oh yeah, definitely. And so that's one of the the ways that we practice our compassion, not just through meditation and being compassionate, but also through these Dharma services where we bring in some of that wisdom that comes hand in hand with compassion. And during the Dharma service, it's really uh, quite liberating when we contemplate on the sutras and contemplate on the, on the chanting that we will do. It allows us to give us that some foundation towards the kinds of practices that we want to bring into our daily lives. Yeah. One of the comments that I received from someone online was that, and this is not related to the podcast, this was in a completely different context, but someone had brought up that, does the practice of these uh, ceremonies and rituals, this sort of compassion, Um, make people feel like that's all that's necessary and they don't really need to practice compassion in their own lives interpersonally. And I think that this is a little bit misguided because just because you do these dharma services and you attend these ceremonies and you practice compassion in that way doesn't mean that you are somehow not going to practice compassion towards the people you encounter in your daily life. I would argue that in fact 
it helps you practice compassion towards those in your daily life. When you start by making these offerings to the Buddhas and to the celestial beings, as we are commonly doing this time of year anyways, you have this sense of respect for them, right? You have the sense of thank you for the Dharma that you've provided for us and so on and so forth. It's an offering made with a lot of admiration and then with a lot of gratitude. When you're encountering people in your daily life, you're giving them either food when I'm serving food at the temple, or if you're giving out food at, say, a soup kitchen or something like that, or a homeless shelter or a food pantry, you can do that with the same mindset. And you understand now how to bring up that sort of appreciation, that generosity, that compassion within you. Mm, definitely. And um, actually, some people have asked me, so I'm not particularly wise or particularly compassionate. And if you're saying that you need wisdom to be compassionate and you need compassion to be wise, then if I'm neither of those things, how do I practice it? Well, I reckon the response to that should be that you should start where you are. No one is, no one is perfectly wise, if you're, unless you're the Buddha. No one is perfectly compassionate. And so you need to start where you are and take small steps, one by one. Maybe attend some Dharma services or do some volunteering and bit by bit you gain more wisdom as you gain more wisdom you gain more compassion and so i think when you practice one you practice the other and so you can increase both skills simultaneously definitely i think that is kind of like how anybody would approach a sport for example you might say well for swimming i need to be able to have a lot of stamina um, and I also need to be really fast, but I'm, I have neither of those things. That's fine. <laughs> you can start where you are. You can start by swimming one lap or half a lap. Uh, you can swim like a dog if you would like, but you start. And as soon as you dip your toes into the water, that's already the first step. And you're growing and growing and growing. A lot of times I think what's difficult about practicing in Buddhism, though, is that there's not much of um, a quantifier that we can use to see how much we've grown. For example, when you're practicing for swimming or for a marathon, you can time yourself. You know exactly how fast you were at this point in time. You know how much you've improved three months, four months, five months later on. But in Buddhism, we don't really have that. And so I think a lot of times people feel discouraged because they think I've been practicing Buddhism for two, three years now, and I haven't seen any improvement. I think that that's usually not the case. Usually there is a lot of improvement, but it's so subtle and there's usually no opportunity for you to notice that you've improved until something happens. For example, it might be a very difficult situation arises and you realize that now with the compassion and wisdom that you've developed, you're able to handle it in a way that benefits everybody or benefits people a bit better than if you hadn't practiced Buddhism. And that already is an improvement in my books. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's where reflection comes in as so important for you to realize how much you actually have come. For example, I sometimes am quite angry and I act irrationally. I do before I think sometimes. And so when I reflect on how I acted and what I've done, sometimes I'm like, hmm, I, I was actually more compassionate in this situation. I didn't shout. I didn't force my way. And so 
when you reflect through your day-to-day actions, you come to realize that, yes, I have changed. I haven't been as angry. I haven't been as selfish or I haven't been as negative towards day-to-day situations. And that that in itself is that kind of improvement or indicator of success that you get out of other skills like swimming or riding a bike or running a marathon. Yeah. And of course, the path to becoming a Buddha is a very, very long path. But for us, we're just dipping our toes in the water right now, and we're slowly becoming more comfortable with the water, being more comfortable with this idea of compassion and starting to understand how it is to practice compassion, just as how when we first learn how to swim, when we first jump into the water, it's so strange to move in the water, right? It feels a lot different from moving on land. And we have to sort of readapt ourselves to understand how to move forward and how to really improve. But once we get the hang of it, slowly but surely, it starts to build. So one other thing that I think we need to cover is sort of the distinction between giver and receiver. In Buddhism, at least, when we talk about compassion, we talk about it as being practiced together. We can't practice compassion alone if there's no one or no object or person or thing to be compassionate towards. So when we are practicing compassion, it's not just us practicing compassion in a vacuum. We're practicing it in conjunction with other people. And the presence of others is what allows for this practice to occur. We're all part of these causes and conditions that form this compassion and allow it to exist. Yes, and and in Buddhism, it's important to not think of things in dichotomies or in black and white and one or two. Everything is a whole. So there's no giver and there's no receiver. Um, yes, this goes into notions of dana, which is uh, generosity, but that's it's all linked together because it's a holistic uh, practice. Um, in the in our conventional world there are givers and there are receivers and and there are there are these dichotomies but um in buddhism you have to remember that when you're when you're giving you are it's also not possible giving is not possible without receiving and so there's no one or the other and it's important to think that there is one is not more important than the other both are equally important the receiver gives the giver an opportunity to practice their generosity to practice their compassion and the giver is the one that is able to practice their compassion. So both are co-equal, both are, co- are just as important as the other. So I think this is also very well illustrated by the offering ceremonies during lunch, at, especially during retreats at monasteries. So when there's a retreat, a lot of people will make offerings to the temple to provide the food for the monastics or whoever is participating in that retreat. That's their offering. The participants are the ones who are receiving. But when it comes time for the meal, right before everybody eats, the giver is the one who kneels down in front of everybody. And so there was one time one of the venerables said that he got a question from one of the benefactors, one of the donors. And the donor said, I already gave you Um, this meal, why do I have to kneel in front of all of you? And he explained it as, you might have given this meal, but if it weren't for us receiving the meal, then you would have no one to give it to. 
And so the kneeling and the prostrations are also to give thanks and thank the receiver for receiving and accepting this offering, which I think is a very different perspective when we think about giving and charity and donations. Because when we give, we tend, and we don't want to say that we all have this feeling, but I think that most of us tend to have this feeling that like we're helping someone. They wouldn't be doing very well if it weren't for us. And it sort of is tainted with these sort of egotistical things. But instead in Buddhism, when you give, it's not just giving, but you're also thanking the receiver for accepting that offering. Yes, definitely. That really breaks free from like our conventional ways of thinking that, oh, I'm such a good person. I'm, I'm the person giving stuff. I'm giving my money. I'm giving my time. And it really humbles yourself towards the idea that there's no opportunity to give if there's no receiver. So I think this will conclude the second episode of this season. Uh, stay tuned for others, and I hope that all of you in Australia will enjoy your Dharma service very soon. Thank you very much. I think we will. Bye. Bye-bye.